Physicians cannot be appreciated enough for their daily service to protecting lives through maintaining people's well-being and making sure patients can live their best lives despite any disease. However, there is one singular doctor whose unrivaled work in policy work, not just medicine, has saved the careers of dozens of other doctors and has arguably allowed many Vietnamese physicians to continue to practice today. This is Dr. Quinn Q, honestly one of the most inspirational doctors of all time in my eyes. Her story begins in an American airfield in South Vietnam. After seven years of completing her medical studies, she had to flee from the communist regime that had overtaken what was once her homeland. She had to leave her mother and brother, who were trapped in prison for three years before they had to embark on their journey to freedom with four months of no contact. However, in 1984, dozens of refugees were being arrested on faulty charges of fraudulent billing. Realizing the slander to the Vietnamese medical community, she decided to, and I quote, not accept the status quo, but always push for improvement. Okay. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Pauline. Hi, I'm Stephanie. And my name is Brianna. Today, we'll be deep diving into the story of an amazing physician who has stood for equality among Vietnamese physicians practicing in California. Yeah. So ask uh, as first-generation students of immigrant parents, I think that it is a definitely an empowering motto to live by and where um, you decide to like not accept the status quo, but always push for improvement. And actually, today we are joined here by Dr. Quinn Q herself. So thank you so much for being here, doctor. And uh, moving forward, we were hoping to discuss the aftermath following the faulty charges of the fraudulent billing that damaged the Vietnamese community and subsequently what could be extended to the patient-physician trust. It was even reported that Vietnamese physicians were regarded with racism and mistrust by patients. Can you share a bit more about this story from your perspective and how personally you pushed for improvement in your journey to, of advocacy-based healthcare? Thank you, certainly. Um, thank you for giving me this opportunity to talk about an incident which happened many years ago, but which was quite devastating to our community at the time. What happens is that um, inappropriate billing by physicians happen. And then uh, the Medicaid pro uh, program in California is often confusing, and especially for new immigrants can be conducive to errors and overbilling. Mm -hmm. So in this instance, what happened is there was some uh, inappropriate billing. However, what the state did uh, and how the physicians were treated was completely inappropriate. For example, this is not a criminal um, of the sort that, that you would say violent type of crime. It's a white collar mm -hmm. of crime. And at that time, Billing is in no way comparable to the violence that we see nowadays involving arms and weapons, and it's not damaging as to physically to anybody. But how the uh, how the state conducted that investigation is that they descended in a large group of um, of police and as an associated combined task force to the Mosa area because the physicians were having their office on, on the main Little Saigon area in a quite visible manner. And they uh, came to the office of those doctors, had them stand outside with their hands shackled, and it was very visible. Okay. And you know, as you know, physicians are uh, respected 
uh, in the uh, in any civilization, I think, because the nature of the healing arts that we are involved with, which means that patients literally put their health and their lives in the hands of the physicians and have to trust them in order to be able to get diagnosed and receive treatment. And this instance, physicians, which were the most respected within the community, were the ones who were visibly being shamed. And so this was quite damaging because at that time, although people were never, who were not involved in any way with this type of uh, uh, investigation, and I would say at the time it was an investigation because the law here says, until proven otherwise, you're not guilty. And they were treated like already super guilty. And not only that, they had to stand outside with uh, restraint for quite a long time for the public to see. And that was obviously inappropriate. So later on, but you know, unfortunately in the, in the media, something happens and uh, it's highlighted. And then later on where, when there's a disclaimer or it comes out later on that there was maybe a penalty which did not involve jail, for example, often that is not publicized in any way comparable to the first time when the, the crime was assumed. So therefore it's quite unfair for people at the time. So uh, I think that even physicians who are not associated with that receive phone calls from patients, whether Vietnamese or non-Vietnamese, um, and especially, of course, non-Vietnamese who said, all the Vietnamese physicians are criminals, so I'm not going to go to you. And they're quite insulting. And that was a mild statement. Other statements were much more uh, powerful. And, uh, and so this happened to be like, a, a, it was quite shocking to the whole community and, and only set back um, the whatever uh, the, the, along the years, credibility has been built by the physicians. So this is later on. And I testified about that. I thought that was quite racist. Mm -hmm. But then what happened is that later on, and the most obvious uh, discrimination which happened was that shortly afterwards, then uh, physicians like me, myself, for example, and others, we see children who are uh, from a low-income family and uh, the state gives them a WIC, which is Women uh, Infant Children Program, meaning that they get coupon for the, for the mother to take nutritious food so that her milk would be good for the baby, to encourage breastfeeding, and the children get additional dairy products or formula in order to support the nutrition. So this is not something which is conducive to inappropriate billing. A baby can be eligible for it and the woman eligible just by the nature of their age and that the mom is uh, at that time breastfeeding or even not breastfeeding, just being a mother. So shortly afterwards, within a few weeks, we had a person at the state WIC program who decided to go through the list and they said, oh, this physician has a Vietnamese last name. 
or is treating a lot of the Vietnamese because among the physicians who were suspended, there were two who were not uh, Vietnamese, but they were treating a lot of the Vietnamese patients. So we were suspended. The suspension was, it made the headlines like nine physicians, nine Vietnamese physicians are suspended from the WIC program. And it was ridiculous because what it was based on is that after, if the child goes to the office, we have to take a blood test and the child does not need to be anemic to be eligible for the referral. But some of those children, because we did do the blood test, of course, we would find out that some of them had anemia, so we would treat them. And then later on, they would go for uh, redeeming the coupons at the WIC program. Some of them were retested afterwards when they went to, to the WIC program to, to get the nutrition support. And they were found that the, uh, the anemia had improved. So based on that, then the bureaucrat decided that this means that in the first place, then we cheated and reported a wrong result in order to make the patients qualify. So that was totally inappropriate and doesn't even apply. And it's not even scientific at all. So I was among those nine physicians and I was quite irated because of course we know what we do, right? So then uh, at that time, I uh, very promptly, I did two things. Number one, I wrote to the department and called the department immediately and then asked for a, for a clarification of this inappropriate uh, action. And then the number two, so we didn't get any response. So number two, I had already been by that time, I, I was active with the, uh, the mainstream California Medical Association. I was on the legislative committee and understood the process. So I appealed to my uh, state senator, Senator Ed Royce at the time, and just explained to him what it was about. And then the, the so he called Dr. Mary D. Gregory, the person who had suspended us was a bureaucrat. He wasn't even a doctor. He didn't even understand what he meant. And then he just did it very arbitrarily. Say, oh, recently a bunch of them were uh, caught as being um, as doing illegal billing. So these physicians must also be practicing um, illegal things. So Dr. Mary D. Gregory, who is a pediatrician, understood the process right away, and she reviewed the uh, the file and reversed it immediately. And so we were reinstated like immediately. However, you know, like I said before, the, the, the newspaper article which published it. So I, uh, they, they put in, in one of the, they buried somewhere that they were rein, that we were reinstated. I was not happy with that. So I went, this was the Orange County Register. So I called, the, the newspaper and uh, talk to the uh, um, uh, ombudsman. They always have an ombudsman that the, the public, when we're not happy with the coverage, we can talk to. So the ombudsman, I talked to him, I, uh, told him the situation and he made sure that the newspaper would do a retraction of the story, would publish a whole story. 
in a place which was appropriate to the first one. So those are the things that you have to insist upon, not only that it would be adjudicated rightfully in the proper way, but you have to make sure that the public will be able to see it where it was. And then if you don't ask for it, how is that going to be noticed, right? And that was in a way, something that I thought, I thought that was very important to kind of put in the right light or highlight that what had happened before is not appropriate because I was able to say there was a direct link between the suspension, which did not make any sense and the prior um, uh, arrest in the community. So these are things that we should never let by because it, it's not only, you know, some of my other colleagues who were suspended say, why do you fight this? This is nothing. It's not going to affect my practice. I said, no, we have to do this because it's not only myself, it's not only you, it's a community which is being affected. So this is something that should always stand above everything. It's an advocacy. It's a question of being able to shed the proper light on the type of people we are, especially if you say that the physicians are the most respected professionals in the Vietnamese community at the time. So, uh, and this is that, this is a type of frame of mind that I've continued ever since I was still in training, I was already involved with mainstream physician association, the local one of Orange County, then the California Medical Association. And it's not only advocating for our group, it's advocating for children, it's advocating for the public, like when recently there was COVID. So then the California Medical Association recognized the work that we did as Project Vietnam locally. So once they found that there was a large amount of masks and 95 which were not being needed, nor nobody, uh, or there were physicians, they had extra surplus, they were happy to give it to me in bulk. So they gave me 40,095 masks. The value was quite a bit at the time so that I could ship it to Vietnam and uh, help protect Ho Chi Minh City, Saigon, because at that time there was a big outbreak of COVID in, uh, in Vietnam, especially in Saigon. So these are things which are very, very important. And I encourage all of you in your career to keep that in mind, to always be involved and advocate. Thank you, Doctor, um, so much for sharing your story. It was extremely touching and it gives us perspective on the struggles you face. You mentioned um, the mentality of standing up for the community, despite um, maybe you not being directly affected, being important to stand strong as a community versus considering yourselves as individuals. And um, that is something that really resonated with us, even when we read um, an article on you in the LA, by the LA Times. So we'd like to ask, um, it seems that you did not receive much direct support from the community. Like a lot of people were okay with accepting the status quo. And considering this, what motivated you to keep fighting the injustices despite little support from the community you were fighting for? See, the very reason why I continue to fight is that in the Asian community, especially in the Vietnamese community, the mentality of the uh, most of the immigrant are, what's the use of it? 
this is a government, in quote. And the government, you cannot fight against a government. But that's not true. It may be something which is like that in Vietnam or in other cultures or society, but here it is different. We have to stand up and we have to articulate your views and expect that if you are right, you will find somebody who will help you. So later on, this uh, transcribed into something which is even more important. I don't know whether um, you uh, follow that, but later on, subsequently to this arrest, it has deep repercussion. Like a year later, the, uh, the board, the medical board of California suspended the process of licensing 115 physicians from Vietnam. And uh, the reason for that, they said, is that since we don't, we, uh, we have no paperwork, independent verification from the school, because of course they had no cooperation from the School of Medicine by that time because he was under communist control. So those doctors who, who fled had um, completed the, the medical training and had the license in Vietnam, but could not bring the documentation, the full documentation and verification from the school. They went to the States and they get, got their, all the uh, medical exams to qualify the medical school and then uh, the training and were completely equivalent to the, uh, to the medical uh, trainees here. Some of them were even in residency already. And at the end of the, of the, uh, of the process, when they applied to be licensed here in California, they were stopped. And uh, so I tried to work with the system. So many of my colleagues, would directly discourage me. They said, why do you even try? You cannot fight against the government and this doesn't affect us. They would tell me this because we're already licensed. They can't take it back from us. So we say, why do you, it doesn't regard you at all. Why do you fight for them? And I said, I fight for them because this is the medical school that I, uh, I graduated from. If they question it, they also, question me. Even I'm not directly affected. I don't have to be. But we have to find a process which is fair to allow others who are equivalent to us the same opportunities that we got. So therefore, for 18 months, I worked with the Board of Medical Quality Assurance to give them all the uh, information and credentials that they needed regarding to support the fact that the graduate of the school of Saigon continued to have very good training for a while. So we, I worked, but however, they were not agreeable to listen. So finally, I had to, go, to use the legislative process. By that time, I went back to Senator Ed Royce, who had helped me in the first place and knew quite well what had happened and the degree of racism and discrimination where um, the Vietnamese doctors were, uh, were in, in boot off. And so then he helped us and then he, he encouraged me. I said, I've given them everything they, they needed at the board and they still would not listen nor reconsider. And he said, if you continue and, and run the same problem, the Senate will conduct 
uh, a hearing. By that time, there were many complaints about the Medical Board of California. So, and uh, the hearing was conducted. I, I testified the hearing along with other graduates from foreign medical school. And along the way, because along the 18 months I worked with them and was there at every board a meeting, then I encounter a group of lawyers. They were the, uh, the, from the School of Law in San Diego. They are one of the few school of laws which deal directly with administrative law. They heard my testimony and they, they talked to me and they said, this sounds that you may have to, to, put, in, uh, to put in a new legislation if you need it, we're ready to help. And they did help. So finally, after the hearing, then we wrote a legislation. I'm telling you, along the way, I was unsure, but I was persistent. I had to do it. So every Wednesday, I would close my practice, fly to Sacramento to go to the different offices and to lobby for the bill. It was called SB 1358. So, uh, and that based on the model proposed when we came in 1975 by the American Medical Association. So I proposed a second faculty in council and exile in order to certify to the graduates who came afterwards. And so it was a very interesting time because I had to follow the bill through all the different committees that it went to and testify every single way. So, uh, you know, usually each bill that the legislature the, is being heard by the legislature, you have to have a lobbyist following it. I was a lobbyist. I actually was the only person. And then along the way, I recruit every, um, the 115 people who were in suspense. So, and I worked with the former faculty of the School of Medicine in order to continue and uh, create the, and provide the documentation which was needed to support it. And it was a great lesson in advocacy because every recommendation from the uh, lobbies, I did it. I, I wanted to make sure that since we were working on it, I would have, I would try and have all the assets on, assets on my side. And it included that I would, I would get, um, I, I will have people sign and all the 115 people and, and friends and some of the friends and people in the community would support us by signing uh, support, saying that please, and writing letters, please, we, uh, we need Vietnamese doctors in our community. I am in this community and I would feel a lot more comfortable with somebody that I can communicate it. And then every legislator I went and, and looked for in the district, some people who are Vietnamese and willing to contact the office and ask them to vote for the bill. But the first major thing was that, remember I said, I've always been involved with the California Medical Association. I went to, they have a, they have a meeting to review all the bills. I address them and ask them for the support in the bill and explain to them why the bill was needed to provide healthcare personnel who can be 
who can help uh, treat the, uh, the people of Vietnamese heritage and were Vietnamese speaking only. So the California Medical Association supported me, but then later on when the bill went through, the board was in opposition. Of course, they didn't want, they saw that as a challenge to the authority, so they opposed it. So while testifying in the committee, we had to make some amendments in order to get the bill through. When we did that, the, uh, the School of Law in San Diego was next to me and they helped me to uh, to create to accept a friendly amendment which was something that <coughs> excuse me the California Medical Association would support but which would be still very strong and it meant that it would only be an advisory to the board however the board would need, and the word is, remember that, unless there is substantial evidence that this is, that the graduate person is not, a, uh, is not from the school of Saigon, meaning that unless they can come up with the evidence that this individual is not, uh, is fraudulent, he's not really a doctor. But then we had a process. If you go to a class, in medical school, and then there is only, and there is only, um, you know, about a hundred people, and you have to do a lot of rotations. You would have to be known by others, and they will testify for you. So the process later on, the bill was voted in the legislation, and we won. There was only one senator who was not in support. And that's it, we won. And said, so I was very gratified about it. And so up to this day, when I go to Sacramento, I still go with the California Medical Association. I still meet with people who were staffed to the legislators and then they move on to other offices or they have moved on to higher positions, but they recognize me from those days of lobbying. So it's very gratifying. It's hard, but... You know, if you don't try, then you don't know. Uh, yes, uh, thank you. That was um, very, very um, enlightening. Um, I don't believe we actually knew that you flew to Sacramento every Wednesday, right? That was something we did not know. Um, that persistence is very admirable. And um, we're talking to you here because we'd like to inspire students like us who want to um, pursue change the way you did. Um, but as you mentioned, flying to Sacramento every Wednesday, it proves very much that contacting Congress can be a very tedious process. And so um, basically, do you have any advice, moments where when you yourself got discouraged on those flights to Sacramento or that permanent change, did you ever think it was unattainable? And if so, what did you tell yourself um, in hopes that students can tell themselves this to push through and keep pursuing the way you did? You have to have faith and determination, of course. But then if the issue is right, then ultimately, if you if you communicate and you talk to people enough, you will find this country is really admirable in the sense that people are willing to listen. You will find people who are very well-meaning. And then if, if the issue that you have to present has sufficient evidence, you can get it done. 
So I remember that one of the day, one of the time I had to testify, there was before testifying, then uh, I look in the room and I saw another face which could be from Vietnam. So I talked to the gentleman and he said he was there for another bill which follows mine. And, and we talked and I said, this is what I'm here for. And, and surprisingly, after I presented my issue, he also requested to testify. You can just put your name on the list and say the public can testify. And he said he's totally in support. And he says in our community, we need physicians who can speak Vietnamese. So surprisingly, I got additional support. So you need to have the faith and the determination. You need to think about all different ways that you can win people to your issue and you need to be willing to communicate widely and then you will find the support. Like it was it was uh, unexpected to be able to get the support of the School of Law in San Diego. But then later on after the bill passed, you know, they asked me to be on the advisory board. So, so people here are willing to be very considerate of when there is a strong issue. So just there. Thank you so much, doctor. We'll take that lesson for our listeners to have faith and persist. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, you know, especially I would have to say one more thing is that for students, it's always very impressive when students are advocating. And for example, in the California Medical Association, there's a special session section for medical students. And then in the, uh, in the uh, pediatric, American Academy Pediatric, the chapters, we always have a, we have, we like to work with the students because we know that you all, if you decide to go to medicine, it's because you're very committed. And then uh, the commitment that you have is something that is the spirit which will help bring us forward. Okay, come on, Baxi. Thank you so much for meeting with us and taking your time out of your day. Um, the Zoom meeting will be closing in around like 10 minutes, so we would like to wrap up our discussion here. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Speaking of pushing for improvements in the medical field, we have decided to ask our members in the Navigator Committee, in what ways have you pushed for improvement or want to push for improvement in your operations? Here are the responses. As a student and volunteer, I think we oftentimes sign up with the right intention of helping other people, of serving our communities, and you know, to learn more about the profession that we want to get into. However, as school gets harder and we get bogged down in other involvements, I think it's really easy to just show up to events and forget what you're actually doing. You know, you show up to events just so you can rack up hours for medical school, PA school, dental school, pharmacy, whatever, right? And so I think it's pretty important to always be mindful and cognizant of the fact that you're helping people who actually want to be helped. And those people could have easily been, you know, your family members or your relatives or your friends. And so definitely uh, we can always improve by treating our patients um, as a priority and as people. As well as an VCH, an organization that predominantly serves older Vietnamese individuals and families, we have felt that it's important to help advocate for healthcare disparities due to language barriers. 
This is a significant issue within our communities, given that many of our patients are not proficient in their English, resulting in significant gaps in communication with healthcare providers. Patients may be less likely to approach healthcare professionals for health advice, or be distrustful of healthcare they cannot communicate effectively with their providers. Patients may also become likely to believe medical misinformation and hold false beliefs on certain healthcare topics. As such, we have advocated for more Vietnamese and Asian representation in healthcare and promoted classes that teach Vietnamese. If we can educate our future generations of healthcare workers on the importance of bilingualism, patients will feel more at ease with seeking healthcare and have a better understanding of their health. It is crucial then that we continue pushing towards a more open and understanding healthcare network and ultimately better help and educate our patients. We have also asked, what do you think are some current social problems in the medical field community? Here are their responses. Personally, I feel like one of the main social problems in the medical field is that there's a lot of stress and burnout for medical school students. And this is seen in the actual process to apply to medical school as students have to maintain a good MCAT score, do extracurriculars and maintain a good GPA, which can be really stressful in college life. And when actually in medical school, uh, dealing with patients and maintaining a work-life balance, especially with all the work that these students have to do, can add on to the stress of being a medical school student. Additionally, there's also an issue with uh, the sh a shortage of healthcare workers as the process of medical school or graduate school can affect other medical careers such as nurses as well as doctors. And with the limited number of healthcare workers, this can continue to add on to a stressful experience uh, in medical careers. There's also an issue with the affordability of healthcare and receiving medical insurance since a lot of patients, especially in disadvantaged areas, can find it difficult to get medical care and have access to a lot of medical procedures which they may be needing. One of the current social problems in the medical field, especially when it comes to medical education, is the lack of representation of darker skinned patients in published materials such as textbooks or even the CPR dummies that we use during CPR training. It's important to have a wide variety of skin tones represented in educational materials because it allows us to make more accurate diagnoses in the future, especially when it comes to different skin conditions that may present differently depending on the hue or the tone of the skin. Another social problem that can be present in the medical community, especially in hospitals where nurses and physicians work together, are the power imbalances or difference in priorities between the two groups, which can lead to a lot of tension and stress and frustration. However, a lot of these issues um, that arise, or conflicts rather, between physicians and nurses can actually be traced back to managerial or organizational factors. So it's important to be aware of some of the conflicts and tensions that can arise between the two groups so that we can tackle these problems at a higher level. Another social problem that has recently been brought to light is the fact that people from marginalized groups often experience dismissal from their healthcare providers when seeking medical help or advice. Serious medical concerns may be brought up, hey, but they my are- My name is Quang. I'm part of the Navigators Committee, and today I'll be answering what ways have you pushed for improvement or want to push for improvement in your operations. So in the medical setting, specifically the hospital, one of the ways that I improved the setting was by sanitizing all of the chairs and the waiting room, specifically during the pandemic, just because I saw a lot of patients were 
sanitizing the chairs by themselves. So I just sanitized everything and that made the patient experience way better because I noticed they were just way more calm and had more peace of mind while in that waiting room. Just because at the beginning of the pandemic, people really didn't know how serious the illness, I mean, the the virus was. And another thing I do at the hospital is just make small talk with the patients. Just because waiting in the waiting room is very, I guess, boring for a lot of patients. So just having small talk makes the whole visit to the hospital more tolerable. And those are my two ways of my two improvements to the medical setting. Well, that concludes the end of our podcast. Thank you guys so much for watching.